you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Jerry and Tim Seymour. Seymour, David Seberg, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, General Electric shares are cratering the stock's thinking. An additional 6% breaking below 18 bucks a share are its days as a Dow member numbered. We've got a special report. Plus, there's one Dow stock quietly surging to all-time highs, and one trader thinks there's even more gains ahead. We'll tell you the name. But first, we start off with a major reversal in stocks. The Dow sinking more than 150 points before coming back and ending the day nearly flat. But even with stocks near record highs, as represented in this graphic by the happy scuba diver, not too uh -oh. far behind oh, no. him, there are some oh. warning signs lurking beneath the market's surface. Energy, materials, high yield, all under pressure, as depicted there by the shark. Deep stuff here, but it all boils down to this. Do the moves in these areas of the market make you nervous about this rally? And at what point could they break through that surface, Pete? Well, you know, quite honestly, I, I look at this market and I think this rotation has been going on. And we've seen it time and time again where energy, something's lagged and all of a sudden we see it somewhere else, whether it's technology, the financials or whatever. So the rotation's been in place. I think if there's a concern right now of what's maybe lurking out there, I think we still, it's like we've gone completely blind to the idea that North Korea is still hanging around somewhere out there. Quantitative easing or quantitative tightening is still out there. So there are plenty of different catalysts that actually could push us likely to the downside. I mean, we're in a pause phase, it sure feels like to me. Mike, Smith, uh, Mike Wilson was on here from Morgan Stanley. He just the other day put out a piece after being the biggest bull in January. Everybody else went bearish and pausing. He waited until just last week and suddenly he says, you know what? It feels like it's time for a refresh. It feels like it's time for a pause. It makes sense to me based upon what we've had and what are the catalysts, because we've had earnings. We've gone through the majority of the cycle of earnings. They've been great. We've hit these record highs, yeah. and now we pause. But, it, but isn't that really it? I mean, everyone assumes it's the pause that refreshes, and, I, and you know, it, it certainly Why has... Why is there that assumption, well, it, right? I, exactly, and it has been. And I'll tell you what's lurking out there, and it's scarier to me than that big old ugly great white that was there, is the two-year note's now at 170. It's been, it's been slowly on a tear. It's up 35% since September. And if you look at high yield, look at the JNK ETF. Look at the, uh, the HYG ETFs. And if you remember back where we were in the first quarter, look at that. It's, a that scary I mean, look how big that shark is compared to that dinky little scuba sure. diver. And, I mean, it's and, really and, and that that Scuba diver looks a little bit like Dan, by the way. Dan, I don't that's, know. That's, look, that's, bottom line here is high <laughs> yield hasn't traded below the 200 for this long of a period in 18 RSI, which means momentum is dead since the first quarter of 2016. EM closes on the lows. Uh, transports are down six and a half percent. IWM, small cap stocks, you, know, you get the picture. Um, anything that's cyclical has really been under a lot of pressure. And this is Lake Placid on the surface. But guess what? You look at a lot of stocks, they're making new lows. Should we discount HYG, uh, JNK, whatever you want to call it, because 25 percent or yeah. so tel is telecom? Yeah, no, look, I, I'm discounting. I mean, I look at the market and see the only thing that's going to derail the tape right now, in my opinion, is really seeing these mega cap names sell off or the global growth narrative sort of shift a little bit, which we're not necessarily seeing. We're seeing some cracks. China. So there's no shark to you. I don't look. I don't think so. Actually, I think the reverse. And, and again, I'm not being ultra bullish here. But if you look at so you're from, that scuba diver from October. I'm the scuba diver. <laughs> I mean, from October, from October, from mid October, October 18th. I mean, you know, to basically, I, I'm sorry, from mid August to, to roughly October 5th, we saw the market rally five percent. Right. Since that time, we've seen the market rally about one percent. 
So we haven't necessarily seen a retracement there. We haven't seen a pullback for the buyers that want to buy the, the pullback to step in and sort of be there. So we've sort of grinded there a little bit. Up 1%, not a big deal, but traded sideways. If we start to ratchet higher again, I think you're going to see people jump in and chase this tape, and it could force a really kind of a springboard effect to the upside. It could, and it, yeah. it could not. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting <laughs> action the last couple of days, the S&P has had these like 10-handle rallies at some point before noon, getting back to unchanged. It feels like it was going to be that day where we actually have a 1% down day. And I think, you know, I think all of what you guys are saying makes a lot of sense. I think it's really important, though, to make sure that we get that we're going into a holiday-shortened week next week, and right. then we go into that <laughs> period of time between Christmas and New but shouldn't it be a run, a run for the races right well, now, Dan? I, but, I mean, but everything I think is given, so good. Well, what I'm saying know? is at this point, with the S&P up 15%, the NASDAQ obviously up a lot more. I think people with all the uncertainty that Pete was talking about, you didn't even talk about uh, debt ceiling. You didn't right. talk about tax and you know, all this sort of stuff that's going on in Washington. We know that there's, it's right, scandal-ridden. So what I'm saying is people are kind of holding on for dear life, right? And the whole notion But that two maybe, weeks ago, bullish sentiment was at historic highs, like all-time yeah. highs, Dan. If you look at the bull bear indicators, yeah. if you look at the AAI yeah, but let me ask you a question. The fact you tell that we me levitate here is kind of bullish, this is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? The fact I'm not saying it's reason to be bullish, but it's actually fairly bullish action, which speaks to what you're talking about rotation. I'll just mention one name. This is a name that caught my eye today. It's a big name with you. TJ Maxx made a new 52-week low today. Terrible. It's down like 15% from its 52-week highs. This is a stock where, where their earnings and sales are growing, you know, double digits and high single digits respectively, trading below a market multiple. What's going on there? Aren't they kind of Amazon proofs, recession-proof, that sort of thing? So I look at some of those things under the surface that kind of freaked me out a little bit, and definitely the Russell. I mean, that one and the transport. Yeah, yeah. Well, things. I mean, again, if you look at Freeport Mac, and I think it's, yeah. you know, the reflation trade is supposed to be alive and well. It's something I've talked about until I've been blue in the face. Copper's down 2% today. You look at energy stocks, look, oil's actually gone into Cantanga, which basically, without getting too deep into that, means it's a lot cheaper to get oil in the future. That's negative. That's bearish. You have a lot of trades. Glencore, I would put that on your screens, folks, if you'd follow commodities, because that's the mothership. They're highly levered. That traded straight through the 50, through the 100. A lot of these stocks are under pressure. By the, by the way, Icon disclosed that he sold 77 million shares uh, as of the end of the June quarter in his latest 13F right. filing. Well, who's going who's gonna to make Which a Which I think is bullish, by the way. I mean, just to be clear, I mean, that was right. months ago, right. and we right. got yeah, a big seller right. out of the way, and I think copper has actually rallied substantially since then. Yeah. I think it's yesterday's news. You, you look at these mega cap news, you think anything that's had this massive performance, right, into the end of the year, or, or that's had it year to date, who's going to sit there and take profits right now? I mean, first of all, the mutual funds, the way they're investing now, it's a buy and hold strategy. Just said they're not turning the portfolio. Didn't but hold you? on, why? Taxes, tax structure is going to change, possibly. The hopes of that, why would you take that book that now when there could be a lower tax well, rate the, next year? And I would say this, the, the broader market, the broader market's not giving those opportunities, but individual Jeez. names are. And I think anytime you see names where we already know the facts about the companies, we've gotten through the earnings season, when you see 10% pullbacks, those are the ones to buy. But we have not seen that in the market. We airlines, haven't seen, right, but we haven't seen a 3 percent airlines, though, Pete. They had do great numbers. Like and you, I do like them. Right. You liked them. And you smartly said, though, at some point, momentum was broken. Yeah. Yet so they gave us great can numbers. Ask, can I ask this basic right. question before we bring in Rich Ross, who's in the pantheon of technical yeah. analysts who come on the show, et cetera, et cetera? Who is, at this point, the scuba diver? And who is the shark? Who believes that there are things lurking beneath the surface, the shark? And who believes that the markets are OK, the scuba diver? Shark. 
Raise your hand. I, I, I see sharks. You I see sharks. sharks. I, see, I see the Fed is is much more aggressive. Look at that two-year note. Mm. That's your shark. And you guys are the I'm diver. Not, I'm comfortable. You, you think you're you're okay I, swimming I along, not worried about what's no. working. No, I don't see I don't see right now any reason to take your foot off the gas. As a matter of fact, you talk about the losers. I make the argument that the losers get pressed harder because the tax loss selling. They're going to sell them like crazy. Well, in the broader market, when you've got volatility as low as it's been, 10 to 12 is where we've been consistently now for call it two and a half, three months. You can protect a position there. So from that perspective, I like the opportunity, even if there is a shark in the water. I'm talking about still the individual names. And when you look at these numbers, when we've gone through the earnings numbers, absolutely incredible numbers for the most part, across the board, and those are the opportunities. If they get sold off because of a broad market sell-off, those are the right, opportunities. So what are the catalysts, though, between now and the end of the year? That's really what I'm talking about. We know that I'm December with you. 13th, There's a lack of catalysts. That, that week of December 8th to 13th, we have the budget. You know, we have, uh, then we have the Fed meeting. You know, we, we kind of forget what it's like when the Fed raises rates and what they have to say about a tightening cycle, that sort of thing. So to me, I just don't see the catalyst, and I do believe that I don't know what Mike Wilson said, but I like Mike Wilson. And yeah. if he was an Uber bear and he's saying, I, I think the best Here's thing the for Bulls would be or Uber Bull yeah. would be to see the S and P at some point between now and year end back at 2,500 because then you have some sort of reset there and you can kind of see how some of these yeah. huge gainers act on a real three to four percent pullback. All right, well maybe it's not all that bad. Our next guest has three stocks that you can buy on the dips. Let's go off the charts with Rich Ross of Evercore ISI. Hi, Rich. Hi, Melissa. Thank you. Look, when volatility picks up in the broad market, I like to go back to a place where I know I'm loved, and there's no better place than the face. We're looking at Facebook here. You can see textbook bullish ascending triangle. Now, we've already emerged from that pattern here, and importantly, as we've seen that volatility tick up, as we alluded to, Facebook tests and holds that key breakpoint. That tells me that Facebook is ready to get another leg up here and the next chart. We're going to go back to law school here. We're going to take a look at JD.com. This stock is mm. fresh off a huge victory in singles day. That's like Black Friday. $25 billion in sales in China. These guys are the Amazon of China, or at least one of them. You can see the neckline of a potential head and shoulders top. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because when the head and shoulders fails to break down, what happens is we get a commensurate move in the opposite direction. And this neckline is a springboard to higher prices. So buy JD on the pullback to the 200 day. And finally, we're going to finish up with a real battleground stock here. This is Tesla. So I've brought up the weekly chart to sort of mute the volatility and ease the pain of the longs as the stock has come down from 380 here to 300. But look at this. You've got this big multi-year base of support in the stock. You're testing and holding for the time being the magenta line, which is your 50-week moving average, and that neckline of support in and around 280, 290. You want to buy that pullback because with 21% short interest, if that neckline holds, and I think it will, you're going to get a sharp move in the opposite direction, which in this case is higher. So there's three great ways to take advantage of some of the near-term weakness to play a compelling structural longer-term bullish setup. Well, since uh, Rich sits in the Pantheon, he, he definitely so comes pantheonic. over to the desk. So come on, Rich. Ariel will bring the chair in. Look at you. Thank you. So I want to be clear here on Tesla because we do have a big event coming up, which could be a major catalyst either way for the stock. The semi-truck unveil, which happens on Thursday. You're saying to wait until 280 is tested. No, I think you can buy it in here. Okay. And as for traders, I would use that as your protective stop. So with a stock in and around, let's call it 308, 310. Okay, great. So you're saying, oh, 10% stop, but this is a highly volatile stock. So you buy it in here below 280, you're a seller. I like that risk reward for a stock that I think can break out to new highs and see 400 kind of in the first half of next year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I like your Facebook trade. I, I agree with it 100%. Tesla, again, I do agree with it as well. I just think it's a little bit more risky. So in my opinion, I would stick with the, the, the Facebook setup there. I think from a fundamental perspective, it's lined up as well as the technical sit there well. Interesting going with JD.com because it's not, it's the little brother to the one everybody knows with Alibaba. And again, these guys have announced potentially some short term headwinds on, on margins. Their yeah. NT apparel coming under a little they bit of pressure. Today, but they just got a downgrade today. But they just got a downgrade. They've also had a couple of guys that have been upgrading. And, and bottom line is we've gotten a lot of numbers out of the way. Uh, I think people are more concerned about the big brother effect and Alibaba pushing them around. They are doing that. They're pressuring merchants. Uh, there's room for two guys. Chinese consumption should be bought. You know, Rich, I know that you are an avid viewer of Fast and you, you watch everything very carefully. And we started the show off with this notion of the shark and the scuba diver. At this point, the traders here, especially Dan and Tim, they outlined some of the things that could be lurking. Do you think that technically the markets are okay, or do you take a look at those things that are lurking uh, and, and say, you know what, maybe there is some caution to be had here? You like to be swimming in that, that metal cage. Are you a shark or are you a scuba diver here? Look, I think we're going to need a bigger boat here. Uh, <laughs> right all that being said, look, I'm <laughs> always looking at these dangers that are lurking. They've been lurking all year. Some of the issues that we've raised here, the surge in two-year yields, keep in mind that the curve flattened throughout both of the last two secular bull markets here in the U.S. from 94 to 2000 and once again from 2002 to 2007. Of course, those moves ended badly, but it always ends badly. That's what an ending is. Point being, <laughs> you've still got 70 basis points on that two tens to play with. So I'm not overly concerned there. And as we talked about on the show before, the banks, the BKX, the big guys, JP Morgan City, Bank of America, they're trading off of two-year yields, not 10-year yields. So insofar as the two-year goes higher, it's taking those banks higher. What was up today? BKX. Yeah. Banks Rich, holding oh, in really well. You know, it's interesting. You know, great call on the banks. I know that you've been there. You know, they've come off about 5%. If you look at uh, JP Morgan, you look at Bank of America, you look at some of these things that are getting back towards Citigroup, especially back towards those recent breakout levels. I mean, is that a level where you get back in and reload on those things? If you're I, bullish? I think that's exactly it. The BKX pulls back and tests and holds the 50-day and the breakpoint, the high end of that well-defined trading range that constrained us for most of the year. JP Morgan, these are stocks that are poised to test and hold and move higher again. And I think that's exactly where we're set up to be. Rich, thanks. Rich awesome. Ross. Ever so we need a bigger boat, though. I know. Uh, Pete, what did you do today? He's not nervous. I can no. tell. I mean, absolutely not, not nervous. You know, I only had one, one big trade today. I actually uh, didn't do as much as I normally would because it was an interesting day. I actually brought, bought something in the REIT space, and it was, it's in the senior living, and it's because we saw some incredible uh, uh, unusual activity in there. So that brought me into Brookdale. But other than that, I was pretty silent today. I actually sold some Halliburton today. I've been very constructive on the energy sector, and Halliburton especially. I think ultimately they are very well positioned. But we've had a massive run in energy. We've had a bit of a reversal here. We've got perfection priced into OPEC Vienna, November 30th. There's nothing wrong with taking some profits here. Yeah, shorting, shorting Foot Locker and, and Presta actually dicks a little bit. Again, these are two stocks that are going to continue to trend lower. We talked about, I and mean, we saw Dick's trade lower today. Foot Locker reports on Friday. It's not going to be a pretty quarter. That stock's going to go a lot lower. I can see the stock trading off a couple bucks. You know, every once in a while, I'm sitting on this desk, and I get a trade idea from one of you guys. But it's really? usually I'm fading something. Are you going to, yeah. You're so gonna last night, you know, we had John the Gaw on fading something. Wow. What does that mean, I'm just saying, so Mr. Sims? It hasn't done well. So Pete and John the Gaw of Credit Suisse, they're in yeah. agreement about the consumer staples. I'm looking at the XLP, the ETF that tracks yeah. it. I'm looking at that nice little bounce, 52 to almost 55. Like, that's a that good thing? short entry. And there you go. Giddy up. Giddy yeah. up. All right, we'll see. <laughs> Coming up, General Electric getting crushed again today, even after some reassuring words from CEO John Flannery. And traders are betting it's about to get a lot worse. We will explain. Plus, Home Depot crushing earnings today, but will the other big box retailers follow suit? These traders here will weigh in. And later, Tim's fast pitches have been on fire, and he's got a new stock he says is set for a major breakout. He'll set up, step up to the plate later on this hour. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Coca-Cola pops to a fresh all-time high, and that kicks off our top trades. This, as well as Fargo, upgraded the stock, up the price target to 51 bucks a share. The firm saying the beverage maker may move into the booze business. Rival Pepsi also seeing a bid today. So, Tim, have a Coke and a smile. Well, it's, it's an exciting time for Coke. At one point, I made the comparison to what was going on at McDonald's. I mean, you have new leadership there after many years of kind of languishing on their reputation. They've cleaned up their, their business. They've gotten this whole refranchising business out of the way, and they're going to have their first analyst day in two days in, in almost nine years. It could be a positive event. You could hear about growth objectives. Meanwhile, great balance sheet, great company, fantastic positioning, and a weaker dollar has been great for their core business. If Coke says they're getting into the boost business, are you more bullish or less bullish or neutral? I'd want to see. I mean, I want to see what the results are. And in the long term, what the expense is to, to build that business. I mean, before I jump in and buy it for that reason alone, but I agree with Tim. I think the investor day that they're hosting in two days is going to be, I think, a, a catalyst for the name. It, it may not be positive. They may not come out and actually talk up things. They may actually talk down guidance. But that will be a relief, in my opinion, for the stock. So I think you can not, buy not, it here. Not up the way it is and no. not trading at 25 times yeah. earnings. It will not be a relief. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is what this is part of the, the XLP, the consumer staple conversation we were having that last you were night. Short now. You, yeah, well, and, and listen, when you think about the <laughs> top you, five Mel. holdings, it's Coke, it's Pepsi, um, it's Procter, it's Philip Morrison, it's Altria. Mm -hmm. All these stocks are trading between 22 and 25 times earnings. So Jonathan Golub's point is like, oh, well, you know, you got 2 3% dividend yields. You got 2 3% earnings growth. But they're all different. But, Dan, you're lumping right, them all. I don't, I don't think you are, but yet you are. You're lumping them all together. I mean, again, Altria's got a very bit, very different business. They're facing some serious headwinds that Coke is not. So, yeah, I get how they fit in the same classification, but they're totally different stories. Coke's got a lot of exciting catalysts. Yeah, you just own me. But I, I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't do better see why these stocks deserve to trade 25 times. Next up, Home Depot blowing past Wall Street's earnings expectations as repairs from recent devastating hurricanes and wildfires help boost sales. So will it be good news for the other big box retailers, Target and Walmart, both on deck? Target has been missing the mark this year. Uh, the stock is down about 17 percent, while Home Depot and Walmart are both up more than 25 percent, pretty much at fresh all-time highs. So, Pete, can Target... Catch up. You Target, said last think, night a, Home Depot is your choice. Right. And I still own Home Depot. I own Coke and I own Pepsi, by the way. And I think part of what really is running Coca-Cola right now is the fact that they moved away from carbonation, started making incredible acquisitions. I've owned that stock since 2007. No plans to get rid of it. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. When I look at what's going on in this other retail space, the big box, Walmart, they've done a great job. Obviously, their transition over to the online world has been great. And by the way, Home Depot, again, 20% online, 23% last quarter. They continue to crush it there, but they also continue to crush it everywhere, so they raise their full-year guidance. Target concerns me because I think they've been late to this whole game. And because of that, I think they're at least one or two quarters away before we start to see Target become more like what's happening with Walmart, where they start to show that. Yeah, you know, I love that I tossed you talking about big box retailers, and you went to Coke because you wanted to rub it and dance. Well, I need to. I've owned Pepsi stock. for that long, too, and you're wrong on Pepsi. <laughs> These stocks have been moving to the upside. Pepsi does it because they have the mix. Well, Coca-Cola does it because they went away from carbon. Back to retail, though. But you look at the premium. Please. I mean, Walmart's trading up here. I mean, a smoke and mirror show. I've said it before. I know it's running dollars since then, but Agreed. it is Super. absolutely priced to perfection, and I think that Mark Laurie, I mean, there's no question he is talking up the game from the e-commerce perspective, trying to get a, a almost a, you know, an Internet-type bid behind this But because sort of process. they're compared with Amazon, when you talk about valuation so and this thing up in the stratosphere, the, aren't those two well, all the same? I think the problem that people are missing is the cost. The cost to get to that next level is all about scale. To get to scale, their, their cost to get there is going to be so so. But they dramatic. got 4,600 stores across the United States. I know, but you know, Mel, they just point you last night, yeah. Pete. Maybe you weren't yeah. paying attention. Probably you know, not. It's one thing <laughs> for Amazon to go for retail sales at very low margins. Walmart yeah. has 500 
billion in expected sales this year. Most of all of it is in retail at right. very low margins. So well, Amazon has obviously been having you know, the, the, the pleasure I, I, of AWS. Also margins, that sort of thing. So, so here's the problem. With him Walmart can compete with anybody on margins, but the bottom line is they're a, it's a losing game. Right. And there's yeah. so much competition and too much floor space. I Thanks stay away from the button on that. Target over Walmart. Still ahead. Roku taking investors for a wild ride. The stock is still up more than 100% in the past week and passing a major milestone in the process. We will explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Here's what's happening to GE shares. And something just happened that suggests it could go a lot lower. We'll explain. Plus, Tim's bringing the heat. Pitching one bank stock that's up 30% this year. And he says the rally has just begun. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. GE's long national nightmare continues with shares getting slammed once again, breaking below 18 bucks a share, its lowest level since December 2011. And now GE investors may soon have another thing to worry about, whether the company can actually stay in the Dow. Bob Pisani's at the NYSE breaking down just how close the stock might be to getting kicked out of that index. Bob. Hello, Melissa. The workings of the committee are a bit mysterious, but it's clear there's no price limit when you get thrown out because you drop below a certain price. GE is $17, but AT&T was 33 when it was removed in 2015. Alcoa was 8 Bank of America was 14 Hewlett-Packard was 22 Kraft was 39 when it was removed. Citigroup had dropped to $3 when it was thrown out in June 2009. GM was 27 cents. There's no pattern here. It's clear there's not any cutoff price that will get a company kicked out of the Dow. The price relationship with other stocks may be more important because the Dow's price weighted. That David Blitzer, the chairman of the index committee, he said that he prefers the ratio of highest to lowest price stocks to be less than 10 to 1. By that standard, GE is definitely a candidate to be thrown out. GE's about $18, but the highest price stock in the Dow, Boeing, is at $261. That's nearly 15 times the price of GE. Another way to look at this is not the price, but where the company's at. The committee dropped Alcoa in 2013. Here's an example, because raw material companies weren't as important as they used to be. But the best parallel may be Hewlett-Packard. It was dropped from the Dow in 2013 because it was a former tech giant that had fallen on hard times. The company's board of directors struggled, and the company seemed unsure of where it should be going and what it should be doing next. Melissa, does that sound familiar at all? It that certainly does. Are there, are there regular meeting dates of this committee, Bob? Uh, they, yes, they meet fairly regularly, but yeah. obviously they don't meet, they don't make any decisions. Uh, they make decisions very irregularly on when things should be thrown out. It's been a couple of years since anything's yeah. happened. Absolutely. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani yeah. uh, at the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, given the ratio that currently has the price waiting in the Dow, I mean, it, it's, it's almost It's playing itself right out of the sheet. Exactly. Right. It's kicking itself out. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you made this comment yesterday. If you look at the price action today, the question Mel posed to us yesterday was this that inflection point, a capitulation, really. Um, and you had, you had an enormous volume. Today you had more volume. You had $50 billion trade, and you had the stock that traded 3% off the lows to finish um, respectably down, you know, 45 or 5%. So the, the point here is, did we get more news? Um, I still think people are concerned that Flannery hasn't been as straightforward about the balance sheet. Um, but what I said last night, and this is portfolio management kind of 101, you don't jump in two feet into a name like this, but you might buy a 1% position. Um, and when 
when the stock goes down 20%, you know, roughly that's that's 20 bips in your overall portfolio. That is not something to lose sleep over, but you have a toehold in a name that you're going to start to follow and do work on. That's what I think people should be doing in when, GE. When Flannery was asked point blank, why should investors stay in this stock? Why should investors buy this stock? He said, you know what, we're not managing for today or tomorrow or next week. We're managing. This is a three to five year right. story. You're buying for the three to five year story. The problem here, <laughs> and, and the reason why that answer is so unsatisfying is that who knows? What, he doesn't know what the three to five year right. story well, is at well, this let me, point. Let me and that goes back to Bob's point about Hewlett Packard. Right. It, it was in a troubled point. It didn't know where it was going. And then it got kicked out that, of the that's, that's the incredible point. So I'm a portfolio manager and, and my performance is horrible. For two, three years, I get a bolt in the head. I, I mean, I lose my job. So I'm not going to buy a stock. This will be dead money. It's going to take an enormous amount of firepower to move this ship. But you didn't own it yesterday, no, David, because you're a smart guy. And so I said why, not to so, buy it. So, you, so, so why no think about reason. yesterday's move? So there's no it's reason. It's tomorrow's move. And Mel said three to five move. years. It's not tomorrow's but, move. It's probably two years from now's move. So it's dead money in my opinion. Stock markets don't wait two to five years. $17. Right? They don't wait. It starts to get interesting. 15 17 is the strike zone. Maybe you could buy stock and collect a dividend. But that's it. The options are indicating that this thing's going lower. I mean, we saw yeah. today a huge roll down, 16,000 contracts moving down mm -hmm. to the 18 and a half puts saying, hey, look, we made a lot of money. We were buying puts before. Now right. we're looking for now even more money buying puts yep. still. I, the biggest problem I have with this name right now is when do we ever see true growth? I mean, I, I want to buy stocks that are getting hammered for the wrong reasons. Everything I look at GE right now is they're getting beat up for the right reasons. Right. They don't have anything right now that shows me, hey, look, we are ready now to start turning. Maybe in a year, maybe two years. Right. I'd rather be somewhere else for the next year or two years mm -hmm. while I'm waiting. Let's, let's take a listen to what uh, John Flannery, the CEO, said on Squawkin Street about what the company needs to do, what the company is going to do to move forward. The company's been around for 125 years. We've reinvented ourselves many, many, many times. We're in that process again. We've constantly leveraged our technology to reinvent and move the company in different directions. So people who want a, you know, exciting new direction, I'll, I'll recruit anybody and talk to anybody, but people are going to have to want the battle, want to change, want to move the company forward. People want an easy task and, uh, you know, I don't want too much challenge. That's, that's not for us and that's not for them. So he's basically saying it is going to be a huge challenge. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's interesting because we've been talking about this now for two weeks as the stock's gone from you, 24 and you down to, what's that? <laughs> you've been enjoying the elongated conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating story. Well, I considering mean, but, it is a position that you have yeah, right is. now um, so, so, on the so long just, side. Just real quickly, I'll just say this, is that, you know, you can't put your finger today why the stock was down another 7% other than people are dissatisfied with what they're hearing, right, and they keep selling. So to me, to your point, either the stock's going to really crash and go much lower. Maybe there's support down in $15 or something like that. Um, bottomed out, what, in high single digits back in 2009, um, or it's going to find some room. The sentiment had shifted too far, too fast one way, and you're going to see the stock back above 20, and then you're going to let this story play out as long as there's some faith in John Flannery in doing this. I think he probably is the right guy to write this ship. So to me, um, you know, you're probably setting up a good trading opportunity. I bought some stock today at $18. I will look to sell it up towards 20 if we get a snap back towards that. But that may be a great opportunity, A, if you've been long the whole way, to sell it too, because the story's not going to get fixed in 2017, not likely in Q1 2018 either.
I mean, so back to 18. What's going to bring it back to 18, given that there are no catalysts on the horizon of this Sellers point? run out. I mean, literally, just, at the end of the day, it. it's exhaustion. just like, yeah, you, know, you get to a point where sellers exhaustion, you're going to have a quick They're selling off assets. People are going to do the sum of the parts, which right now doesn't look We've terribly promising. But again, you're going to have had a terrible sum of the parts analysis. Yeah, it's the less than the share price. It was $15. <laughs> at the yeah. high end, it was $9.15. Basically, 15 was being super generous. Our price target's $17. That's a looking out a year ahead of time. Well, so I look at it and, and say And your guy did a great job pointing out today. Uh, I think it was on Power Lunch or maybe it was on the noon show where they, you know, these guys have been buying back stock for three or four years and people said, oh, how smart. Yeah. In fact, these guys eradicated Worst so much use capital, of capital. Um, Worst through that use. process. So, you know, uh, duly noted. Think yeah. of all the debt they could have paid down. All right. Uh, one trader's betting there is more pain ahead for GE. Uh, Pete alluded to this, so Dan, watch yeah, so the Yeah, so what he was alluding to was some short-term protection. Somebody who right. basically probably had this put, you know, put on and short-dated. I think it was December, and then rolled them down to a lower strike as the stock keeps going down. But today, put volume or total options volume was about two and a half times average daily volume. And there was one trade that really stuck out. If you're looking at this sort of um, action, there was a buyer of 10,000 of the January 2019. Okay, more than a year from now, um, 10 strike puts, paying 16 cents to open. Now, that's not a whole heck of a lot of premium. But when you think about it, we have a chart of, uh, chart of implied volatility here. And obviously, it's been ticking up. It's in the mid-30s percent. But when you look at it over the last two years, when things really are, uh, last 10 years, when things really got distressed, this could be a 50 ball name, a 60 ball name. And when when you see these teeny options wailing, they, they could get bit up pretty easily. And so, to me, this is probably more of a vol trade than someone saying, I want protection below $10. But it's interesting from a sentiment standpoint, is that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Sentiment is really important. So watch some of this volume. Watch the stock volume. Watch analyst downgrades. Watch people get too bearish on some of the parts and this sort of yeah. thing. And then at some point, you'll have a shift and you'll have a quick And rest. this is not protection because it would be the most yeah. foolish protection yeah. ever bought. But it does have a reminiscent scent to it like we had during the financial crisis when Bear Stearns was trading $68 and suddenly they're buying the 30-strike put. Why would you buy the 30-strike put when the stock's trading at $68? Why are you buying a 10-strike put when this stock is trading $18, $19? Somebody looking for something even worse going on with GE to potentially go lower. Doesn't mean they're right. They but think this the is way, very, way out of the money. This is not protected. are underpriced in vol terms. Right. Yeah. And if you did get the stock in the well, low teens, said that about Bear those Stearns options too. are going to explode. I get those that. options went from 30 cents to $30. Yeah, but I mean, how many guys are out there at 10 bucks? And, and is this a very active, you know, open open interest option? No, but you, yeah. you weren't just listening then. You know, tune in uh, 530 Friday. <laughs> anyway. Uh, show yeah. You've been tuned yeah. you know that. You know that. <laughs> Welcome back. Options action, full show, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead. Roku taking investors for a ride today, closing down. Down 13% after a strong start to the session. Oh, Could this be your best chance to buy the top? What did you say? <laughs> to buy the top performing tech IPO of the year. We will explain. Plus, Tim's had the hot hand knocking pitch after pitch out of the park. He's got another name he's calling a screaming buy. Find out what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in May, Tim Seymour stepped up to the plate to pitch Qualcomm. If you look at the stock, it's now around 55 off those lows. There's very good support. It's a key level here. But if you take the stock going back over the, over the this is this is the level that we found. If you take this chart back even further, you've got a company that at $50, you have multi-year support. And this is for a company that struggled with China royalties. They've struggled with lawsuits around the world. They keep coming back for more. It's a sum of the parts valuation. It's very compelling at these prices with a lot of bad Apple news in the stock. 
Since that call on May 31st, Qualcomm has soared up more than 15%. So what do you do with the stock now, Tim? Well, we, we did this prices Right, I believe, yesterday. I mean, we I think, did. I, you I, said higher. I think the stock's going higher. Pete's level. I, and again, this is a company that we know two-thirds of, of the royalty payments could be in some question. This is one of the biggest semis in the world, and they're involved in other businesses. And clearly, the value of this stock is, is being fought over at much, much higher Does levels. it go higher regardless of whether or not the Broadcom bid comes through? I, I think it's bid? established a floor. And okay. I think, again, it, it, it sparked awareness of where these guys have core businesses that have significant value. All right. Well, the Qualcomm call worked out pretty well. So let's get another fast pitch from Tim. Why don't you head over to the plasma let's and give that. us your best shot. And, and let's, let's talk about a bank. So financials have been a very interesting place to talk about. And a lot of people, no matter what they felt, have been saying weakness uh, is the right thing to do in terms of buying banks. I have been one of them. So this should be a time to talk about it. Let's talk about Bank of America. That's, that's my fast pitch. And I want to uh, get into the story here because Bank of America, like a lot of the financials, has done almost nothing over the last six months. In fact, if you look at the stock, uh, BAC is flat since February. But I think there's three primary uh, primary facts here that I think we can look at. I don't know. How, there we go. So bottom line is the company, first of all, is benefiting from cost cutting. Uh, they have done an enormous job of cutting savings. In fact, $620 million in the first quarter. Their efficiency ratios are up to 59%. That's only going to get better for one of the largest banks in the world that's finally learned how to get hold of its structure. The increased capital returns are very important. I mean, you have a dynamic here where banks, you should not be playing them for dividends and for buybacks, but Bank of America now, because the target and the regulatory target is off their back, is able to raise their dividend as they did in August, 60%. The capital control, excuse me, the capital controls that were on the banks are now actually a tailwind. That balance sheet has never looked better. And again, finally, the third point is higher interest rate sensitivity in an environment where interest rates are going higher. We complain and we harp upon the yield curve going flatter. In the second quarter, in a very difficult environment, Bank of America increased their net interest margins by about three basis points and overall to $2.36 to 2.36%. So look, I want to bring up a chart on the stock and just show you ultimately what we're talking about here. Um, you have a stock, which, as we say, if you look in the year chart, we know what happened to banks there. And basically, they've come here. Since this point, though, this stock has really done very little. It's now down 6% off the highs. And you're at a place here where I think, think about what's happened since February. A 60% increase in the dividend. The Fed's Tarullo, so the regulatory hurdles is, you know, he resigns and suddenly banks are able to breathe again. You have a dynamic where we have four interest rate hikes that are probably coming next year and a Fed sensitivity that's only going to help these guys. Their balance sheet's never been better. This is a great time to buy weakness in Bank of America. Uh, all right, Tim, take a breath with your power pitch here. I just want to say something. Fast <laughs> pitch. Oh, fast pitch. Get the Right we, talk, so we talk about who is in the pantheon of technical and, and analysts, you know, on this program. That is the worst support resistance line I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen an analyst come on Fast Money Hold on a and second. actually piece it together. Do you have together. a question for him? Look, bottom line here, if you look straight across <laughs> oh, 26 bucks, where's the stock trading? Roughly at $26, you've got great support right. for the stock. You've pulled back. There's no reason why this stock needs to trade below that level. And in fact, these are key levels. Which the level, level we rallied up levels. to in November, the rally we rallied up to in February. All right. So the quick, real, and seriously, though, um, nice fast pitch. Um, but are you worried that we're going to get a guy down? You know, we've seen this over the last couple quarters. A lot of bank CEOs have come out kind of this period in the quarter and talked down capital markets activity, banking activity, that yeah. sort of stuff. Are you worried about that? And will that give you a better level to buy this thing maybe closer towards $24? Well, it's possible. But again, I, I think at 26 you actually do buy it. And we may not get there. But we know that in the second quarter that their, their interest rate sensitivity uh, businesses actually did very well. But it was in some of the long growth. Um, fixed income and capital markets were weak. Uh, I don't think the third quarter is going to be great. All right, no more questions here. No more snarky Fourth criticism, course, Dan. Uh, time to vote. <laughs> Are you buying Tim's pitch on Bank of America? 
Dan, kick it off. I wonder uh, what you're going to uh, do. I, I'm, I'm a seller here. I think <laughs> really for the power pitch. I think you're going to have an opportunity Shocker. to buy it at 24 between now and the end of the year. Power pitch. Fast pitch. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> fast money. Well, I got to tell you, Tim, Tim, that was an amazing fast pitch. I think Thank you did a great you. job. I am a buyer of Bank America. I think the stock's amazing. I've been buying it since 14 bucks. I think it's going to continue to move higher. I think it easily in the near term goes up to 28, 29 bucks a share, and then on its uh, trajectory to even higher levels next year. Pete? Despite Tim's uh, lack of uh, you know charting skills that uh, Dan was so oh. critical of, I'm a buyer. I own it. I own the calls in it as well. And I, I'll tell you what, Warren Buffett, giddy up. Big dog is in this thing in a big way. You got right. the right people. Got two buys, one sell on the desk, plus Warren Buffett, buy category. We want to hear from you, though. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the answer later on in the show. Plus, Bundle Busters, Roku soaring since its IPO as Netflix continues to outperform. As the streaming wars heat up, are these your best cord-cutting plays? The traders will weigh in with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The streaming wars are heating up as another skinny bundle jumps into the race. Julia Borson's in San Francisco with all the details. Hi, Julia. Melissa, yet another alternative to traditional TV, and this one for cord cutters who don't want to pay for sports. Online TV service Philo launching a bundle of 37 channels to watch live or on demand for $16 a month. Another $4 adds another nine channels. The focus is broadly entertainment, including Comedy Central, The Food Network, MTV, and Nickelodeon, but with no news or sports. The channels are supplied by Discovery Communications, Scripps Networks Interactive, Viacom, AMC Networks, and A&E Networks. Those companies are also Philo's backers, investing about $25 million into the startups. These media companies are looking to create a new revenue stream to battle rising cord cutting and cord shaving, which is consumers switching from traditional TV to skinny bundles, as well as the rise of Netflix. Discovery and Viacom's channels, for instance, are not included in Hulu TV's $40 a month bundle or YouTube TV's $35 a month service. Those digital bundles are up against a different kind of free content from the social giants. Facebook just yesterday announcing an original show starring Bill Murray about minor league baseball. And Snapchat just announced a new Conan O'Brien show. Both of those shows are on Snapchat and Facebook free and ad supported. All of these options are competing for ad dollars as well as eyeballs with the broadcasters who are suffering from declining ratings and subscriber declines as well. Now, one factor working in the traditional broadcasters and cable companies' favor, there are so many options and so many potential combinations of services and bundles out there. Sticking with cable TV starts to look like a simple choice. Melissa, over to you. All right, Julia. Thank you. Julia Borson in San Francisco. So as the bundles keep getting skinnier, the competition in the streaming space tightens. Check out these mega bundle busters. There are only two pure play streaming uh, companies out there right now. And they have been crushing it. No, no, newcomer Roku has soared 57% since going public on September 28th, making it the best-performing tech IPO so far this year. Then there's veteran streaming giant Netflix. It's jumped an impressive 58% this year. So is it time to ditch the bundle? Are these bundle busters the best cord-cutting play, Dan? Well, Netflix has obviously been the one. Roku, the, the jury's still out here. And, and I think what uh, Julia just said is really important. Now that Facebook is entering the game, we know that Google's going to enter the game pretty soon. Apple is in the game. Um, so it's the combination of content and distribution and hardware, too. So that's really what Roku is. And so at the end of the day, I, I think Roku's very challenged. I think Netflix is obviously right where you want to be. But we know that what Disney, the stuff that they're doing, this is going to be increasingly complicated, just as you just said. You know what I mean? So to me, 
me. I actually don't think Netflix is going to be the long-term winner. I think that there's going to be a huge competition from the guys who have 500-plus billion market caps. But how, how can yeah. Roku be doing what it's doing if they are, and I don't mean just because the stock is up, but the idea is these they are another entrant into a crowded uh, streaming skinny bundle world. Right and, now and they're Netflix offering... has been, you know, doing their thing, no question, but people are accepting Roku can compete here and that there's more competition. They're, they're offering a simple solution. And I, and I just say that the more that yeah. Amazon and Google get do with these Google Homes and the Alexas and stuff like that, the more they get into hardware, they're going to have something that's going to put right. Roku right out I, of business. I agree. And they're transitioning to a service model. I think transition like that is very difficult to achieve. So my view is I think the stock's way too expensive. They're just an aggregator of OTTs. It's like not something that I, I look at and say there's a moat around that business. That competition can't come in exactly what you're saying. But I mean, basically, I would, is there a moat around Netflix? Netflix? Uh, I think moats around Netflix because of scale. I do. I, I think that from a scale perspective, that's, I'm not that's 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 that makes that's, sense to me. Yep. I agree with that. But otherwise, there's absolutely zero moat. And, and when Disney's going to take your best content well, or some of it, and some of your content walks away for other unfortunate reasons. No, so that's no. a problem that Roku will have also. That's the same problem that Roku will have. Okay, Plus, you I'm layer on the hardware risk. Roku, Roku, but I'm is, betting against Netflix. Roku, so. the biggest scary part of that is you look at the volatility of this stock. I mean, holy smokes, in a, in a non-volatile market that we've been in, this you look at the S&P, we talk about 10 to 12. It's absolutely nothing. It's tough to find volatility out there. It's what's some of the struggle with the Goldman Sachs and some of the trading you know, units out there. And all of a sudden you look at Roku and you look at some of the moves that this thing has been making. Absolutely astounding. Same day moves up, down, all around. So I mean, stay just, away? I would stay away from Roku personally. And if you were going to be in there, maybe you put on some sort of call spreads, put spreads, something to, to offset it. Netflix, on the other hand, it's much more mature and you've got the international. It continues to grow. Coming up, billionaire Warren Buffett making some interesting moves in the last quarter. We've got the details with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The latest round of 13F filings are out, and billionaire Warren Buffett made some pretty interesting moves. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom with more. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. That's right. The Oracle of Omaha, always interesting. This quarter, no exception. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has been trimming his position in IBM for several quarters now. He told CNBC back in May that he's revaluing the company. I don't value IBM the same way that I did six years ago when I started buying it. I mean, overall, I think the six years that I've revalued it somewhat downward. Now, after he said he was paring back his stake, the stock slid, but Buffett declined to say in an interview in August whether he was selling more. Today, we learned that Berkshire actually did. He sold about a third of his remaining stake during the quarter to hold about 37 million shares. That's still worth about $5 billion, though. However, the firm continues to build up its stake in another tech name. Apple. Berkshire increased his stake in Apple by 3.9 million shares during the quarter. You'll also see a new stake in Bank of America on Berkshire's filing. That's due to the warrants Buffett bought during the financial crisis, which he has since exercised, earning a paper profit of about $12 billion. Melissa. It's got to be one of his best trades ever. <laughs> Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker uh, from the newsroom. Um, how do we trade this? Well, granted, this is as of the end of the last quarter, so it's June. So, they, or excuse me, not June, September. September, yeah. yeah it's basically what, what they did from June to September. And if you look at Apple, um, great trade. Um, and in fact, four million, four million shares, roughly 20 bucks higher. You can do the math at home. Um, the IBM trade looked like it was a very poor trade because IBM, remember, had a nice shot up after their numbers uh, has come back down to earth. And he's probably right. Again, IBM could be another one of those names. We've talked about it for a long time, like a GE story. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Think? I wouldn't touch IBM. I, I think Bank America is a name I continue to buy here. I mean, great trade on him, phenomenal trade. Um, and, you know, frankly, I mean, what's the other? Apple. Apple computer, I love Apple. I think Apple's going to work 185, 190 bucks, and you take it off. Uh, it looks like he's still selling. I mean, the, the, uh, an IBM. I mean, the IBM gapped up 8.5% after their Q3 results, and it's filled in that entire gap. I mean, so, you know, that's not the sort of thing that you would expect to see right. after the first decent report where there's a massive move. That must have been the biggest one-day move in 10 years in that stock, and it's filled in the entire gap. So, to me, it looks like 140 to the downside is probably the next level. Um, it's interesting. Paulson & Company dissolved its share stake in Apple, Greenlight Capital, um, paired back its stake in Apple while the Oracle of Omaha is adding to Think his about stake that. in Apple. I mean, most of these guys are saying we're now going to fade it into what's been the release, right? The yeah. refresh, and, and it, it makes sense. It was the right playbook, um, and Apple has defied that. Yeah, but they also faded that, that entire logic. And, but and I'd also play. add, I, I was getting a chance to look at Tepper's holdings. Mm -hmm. His top six holdings, all tech. Micron, Micron Apple, across yeah. the board, Facebook, Boom. Google, I mean, you name it, he's got it. So... I still think that this Apple has plenty of upside, and I think there are enough out there that are, that are still believing that as well. All right. Up next, are you buying Tim's pitch for Bank of America? There is still time to vote, so head to Twitter right now. We will reveal the results right after the break. Welcome back. Drum roll, please. America has spoken, and apparently they like Tim's charting skills, Dan, because mm. they are buying Tim's pitch for Bank of America. That means Tim is having his time of his life. I tell you, it's a little bittersweet. I mean, I miss what? having Tony here, but oh. it is nice to crush Dan and all those really Haters kind of fool. flimsy arguments. Haters and Haters. 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 Sorry. <laughs> final <laughs> trade time, Pete. <laughs> I got a stock that's my final trade. I own it. I think it's going higher because of the international growth, and it's going to replace GE and the Dow at some point. UPS. Gideon. Tim. Tim. Stop. Bank of America, people. Come on. I know what's going on. I'm just dancing. I don't need to say, say anything else. Thieves. I'm a seller. Foot Locker injuries on the 17th. Selling here. Dan mm. Yeah, I'm a seller from Coke and the XLP at that event. Actually. And Bank of America. And Bank of America. Pile on. Why don't we just pile on? I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Dan. Fast Money. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.